Welcome to Mission Impact, the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your host and nonprofit consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers, all for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Please join me in welcoming Tip Fallon to the podcast. Tip is a coach and consultant who is passionate about working with people to reach their potential. He integrates both a strategic and analytic approach to solving problems with a human-centered focus, tending to people's motivations, group dynamics, and organizational culture. He brings over 15 years of change leadership experience and a background in business and engineering, nonprofit management, and a decade of coaching and consulting to clients in U.S.-based and global organizations. Tip is also a passionate advocate for improving the organization development and diversity, equity, and inclusion fields. He teaches in OD and DEI programs at American University as well as Georgetown and convenes nationwide groups of practitioners for both fields to collaborate and advance their practitioner skills. He also serves as an executive committee member on the board of the NTL Institute, a global network of OD consultants and coaches committed to social justice. He holds a BS in mechanical engineering and a master's in organization development and is a certified professional diversity coach. Tip and I have a wide-ranging conversation about how identity shows up in our work in the nonprofit sector as we navigate a societal culture dominated by structural racism, patriarchy, and capitalist assumptions. One piece that stood out for me was our discussion of masks. We were talking figuratively, talking about the masks we wear or the personas that we assume in the workplace. But fast forward a few months, and we are now literally wearing masks to protect ourselves and those around us from the transmission of COVID-19. And wearing or not wearing of masks, literal masks, has somehow shifted from a simple public health precaution to a political statement for some. Let's jump into the interview. All right. Well, welcome, Tip. Uh, thank you for being a, a guest on the Mission Impact podcast. Uh, we're excited to have a conversation today. And um, just so people have a little more sense of how you're coming to this work, uh, what drew you to do the work that you do? Oh, it's a great question. I'd say a few threads that come to mind, um, but one is just my personal experience. So growing up in a community and a neighborhood where I just starkly observed, um, you know, those with more privilege and access and resources in the community versus, you know, those with less, um, both at the very local level, but also at a global level. My my mom and and family on her side of the family lives in a rural, more rural part of Thailand. Um, so just even at that global level, um, just from a very early age, just really noticing the, the inequality um, that exists and how communities and people are really impacted by that. Um, and not only just that sort of individual lack of access, but um, the loss to the greater society when such great talent and passion and people don't have access um, to, you know, to just bring their fullest gifts and stuff to, to the rest of the world. Um, so I'd say that that's probably the, the underlying driving draw um, for me to doing this work. 
Yeah. And one of the things that, that you've written about is the sense that um, when you're working in a, in a system and you're working and, and uh, I have to stop myself and, 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 and qualify some organization development jargon along the way, but systems are, you know, any kind of human system when you're working in an organization, a network, a group, um, people coming together, uh, you see see effects. But one of the things that um, you've we've talked about before, and you've talked about, is the sense of people not being able to show up as their whole selves, and you know the what what gets lost in um, organizations when people have to put on masks, and and that's at so many different levels. But certainly when uh, folks have um, targeted uh, identities, um, identities that aren't accepted in the, in the dominant culture. And I'm curious, kind of um, from your experience, uh, how, how have you seen that show up? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. One way it shows up in a pretty pervasive way. And, and by that, I mean that so much of it is internalized in us. Um, that, that's my, my belief and underpinning um, so just for example, even in nonprofit organizations who may be providing social services or, you know, direct um, support in the community in, in one sense, like those are still a, um, maybe a, not a microcosm, but they, they sit within a larger society, right? Um, so in this larger society, if we talk about whether it's patriarchy or, or the racism or xenophobia or any of those things, but even sometimes just the, the capitalist mindset um, and the individualistic mindset that that promotes a belief of scarcity right there's only only so many grants only so many dollars only so many resources um, to go around and when we layer that to the structural beliefs that there is one white well white and right way <laughs> to 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 be successful or smart or have the best ideas or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it, it just gets very competitive, right? And, and so I think a lot of times we default to let me wear the mask because I know at least I may be able to survive in this space and maybe be able to foster some relationships with that and get my agenda across. Um, and what I find sometimes, right, is sometimes that mask there's a permeable boundary between the mask and us. Sometimes it seeps into us, um, I think, at an unconscious sometimes level. Um, and we end up, you know, myself and, and others, right, unintentionally, right, sometimes perpetuating um, some of the mask wearing in our organizations. Um, so for me, a, a big piece of work is um, in some of our training, we use the term use of self, but just inquiring how am I showing up, not just what are my intentions, but what are my what are the impacts that I'm having on my peers, my colleagues, um, those who might come to my nonprofit for services, um, on on funders, on the community um, at large? So, can you give me an example of, of when you kind of maybe from either your your how, how you talk about the internalized kind of um, you know we we internalize all of those beliefs, the, the cultural assumptions um, and how we're supposed to show up, you know, what the word professional means, all of those things. Can you give me an example um, in that kind of reflecting on that piece? Yeah, I'll try to think of a, of just a very 
um, sort of concise yet yet relatable example. Um, I mean, so one is just one organization that I worked for, and there was a black woman, um, and and she just felt like oh, she wanted sort of more out of her her role. You know, she said I started in this position, but I've got these ideas about you know programming, about strategy, um, and she was in more of a an admin or executive assistant role. Um, and through some of the the team development work, there was you know just a sense of well, she doesn't have the degrees um, or just, just culturally and visually how she showed up wearing her hair, you know, more, with more natural styles, um, even using age. Um, there was still a little bit of, of othering that, that happened. And so even in that culture, and this is just sort of my assessment and analysis, some of the people in positions of decision-making power were people of color um, or black women, um, there as well. And, but there was a generational divide as well. So even there, there's a little bit of, of tension just generationally. Um, and this is, a, you know, again, a big generalization, right? But sometimes those who are um, younger coming into the workforce now um, have a little bit, I think, more latitude and say, hey, I want to wear my hair or keep my skin or even my clothing and appearance or even my language um, in a style that seems authentic and natural to me. And it's 2020 and like, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about this. So, Hey, supervisor, like, can you call some of this stuff out? Because I don't really feel included. Um, And then in this example too, as well, but also I see this broadly, a supervisor is sometimes they are of an older generation might say, Hey, you know, I've got to, you know, negotiate my boundaries with these funders or these community partners or X, Y, Z. And I'm trying to sort of toe that line. And, you know, we're going to get more, what is it? Get more bees with honey, if you will. So like, let's sort of not rock the boat or whatever the, the adages are. Um, so in, in that, you know, example, there were just, you know, just some of that language of saying, hey, that's sort of that's a little bit a little bit much for um, the sort of the appetite and the culture of that organization. And so what we see in that situation is is someone who says, hey, this is what being authentic means to me. And because I don't feel I can be authentic, you, the organization, are not getting my best thinking. You're not getting my ideas about what's happening within this organization that I only have a purview about. And the system is losing out. The clients and beneficiaries are losing out as well. Um, And then you have others in the organization who are um, essentially, I think, trying to survive in a way and saying, look, like these masks are also a survival tool. And, you know, like we still like, you know, in short, like we need to um, to survive. Yeah. So my sense is there's that if if I were to go to the next question, my mind is what do we do with that? Um, and so another thing that draws me to the work is finding space of connection of, of asking what are our shared goals and helping us to get out of uh, either or thinking it either has to be, you know, this all, all or nothing authenticity way um, or this, you know, kind of safety and wear the mask and don't rock the boat way for us to even keep a seat at the table. Um, So for me, it's how do we soften for a second and talk about what would an ideal look like with some of the best of both worlds in there? Yeah. And I think um, 
one of the things that uh, we bring as consultants, which is so hard for organizations to do in our kind of always urgent, hurry up, got to be busy, um, never enough time uh, culture is just that sense of kind of slowing down um, and, and taking a step back and thinking about where's that common ground or where's that middle ground between, you know, okay, no, you've got to totally code switch and, and, and blend in with the white dominant culture or, you know, you're completely showing up in that authentic way. You know, what, is there a middle ground or is it, you know, one or the other we need to, to do, but um, even having a chance to have that conversation and think about it, think about it differently uh, is can be so challenging. Um, that time factor, how, how have you seen that show up in your work? Yeah. One thing that I'll share for, for the listeners, and I want to caveat, these are, these are thoughts that sometimes I practice when I'm being my best self. Right. Um, but, but the inquiry that, that I offer to leaders and to myself is we say we don't have time to, to, to find a middle ground. We don't have time to do some deeper coaching. I don't have time to do one-on-ones. I don't have time to think about how am I perpetuating a high quality, but low high quantity, but low quality culture. We don't have time for all those things, but we have time to spend about 30, 40, 50, 60% of our week solving the problems that were created by our lack of thinking about those things, right? So if, so I'm like, if that's how we're spending a lot of our time, then like to me, I think the logical, if you will, solution is to muster up some of that internal discipline and say, you know what, like I'm tired of this cycle because it's not like this is a cycle. This is, um, you know, it, it's a process or a pattern at this point, right? These are not um, often not isolated incidents. Um, so I'd, I'd offer, you know, a couple of things. First and foremost is like compassion in understanding the system. And I think offering compassion to ourselves that we live in an, in a very oppressive hierarchical um, system where we, we have sort of have to do a lot of things to survive and, and keep some of the basic needs met. Um, so A is just offering, offering compassion to ourselves that, um, that yeah, we don't have, have ideal uh, choice, choice sets in front of us. Um, so holding that compassion, but then also just offering, you know, where can we make a little bit of time to deepen the inquiry into that what you and I sometimes call like second, second or double loop learning. So not just solving the thing in front of us, but trying to get to the root. Let's solve the pattern, right? After the fourth, um, I don't know, 20 something, you know, black woman leaves this position after seven, 17, 18 months in a row, I'm like, okay, now it's clearly a pattern. Let's not just throw this you know, position description back out there on the web, but let's look at the system. How did this happen? How did we get here and, and try to work upstream, right? How do we do the preventative work um, so we can actually reduce turnover, reduce burnout a little bit um, and do, do better work and feel, like you said, more whole um, in the work? Yeah, I've seen in a, in a lot of... Um you know, uh, the nonprofit sector certainly 
mirrors the rest of the culture in terms of who shows up in what levels of leadership and on boards. And, um, you know, they've, there have been calls from major institutions in the sector for years to, to work on the issue, and, and yet the needle hasn't really moved much in terms of um, diversifying. And I think a lot of it has to do with this notion, especially in predominantly white organizations, of, well, we just, you know, it's just about diversity, and it's about numbers, and it's about um, uh, you know, let's get at least one person. Um, but then that underlying um, one person of color, one person with some kind of diversity factor beyond uh, white and uh, men and women. Um, but then that underlying factor of how is the culture supporting that person to be able to be successful and really contribute in a meaningful way? Um, have you seen um, how how organizations you know, any places where organizations have kind of taken steps and been able to do some meaningful work in that, uh, changing that dynamic? Mm-hmm. Short answer, yes. So some some pockets um, of that. And in short, it, it seems like more, they seem more like the exception than the norm when, when I think about the nonprofit sector and aggregate. Um, so much of it is is down to the individual level, right? So much of it of what I see is frontline managers, mid-level managers, you know, or ED slash CEOs who just have, it's just sort of in their blood, if you will. Like they just have a drive and they show up to work and say, I'm going to look out for my people, um, especially those with marginalized identities, sort of no matter what. Um, sometimes that means, often that means a lot more labor, right, for them. Um, but that's that's where I see see a lot of it. Um, one of, I mean, one of the trends, for example, of trying to challenge even the underlying like ideologies of our current nonprofit sector is when we see foundations. Um, they may have different terms for it, but doing the spend down strategies, right? Um, so just if we have a cycle where you know the very rich set up our endowments, foundations, and give whatever it is four percent or something of that a year out, um, we're we're still perpetuating a very highly dependent relationship. Um, so when we see foundations say, "Hey, let's kind of interrupt this entire cycle um, and take ourselves out of that," what would that look like? Um, to me, that's um, yeah, that's a great I think model or symbol of, you know, just starting where you are. If you're at a foundation, you know, what structures and ideologies are you perpetuating? Um, And I think the bottom line question is just, you know, what are you willing to give? What are you willing to commit to with respect to how you use your privilege in the system um, to interrupt the system? And I mean, trying to do those things, any kind of either organizational culture change or, and and we're talking, you know, organizations embedded in systems that have been built, um, you know, not for millennia, just for probably the last couple hundred years uh, in terms of the nonprofit sector, certainly in terms of rate, structural racism, et cetera, it goes way further back than that. But um, one thing that you wrote recently that I just thought was such an interesting perspective is, um, you know, if you've ever thought our organization or culture is dysfunctional, I invite you to consider that it is. It is functioning perfectly as it's designed. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that and how you've seen that show up? Yeah, sure. And I mean, my, my sense is when most folks hear that, even if they're hearing it for the first time, and I, and I don't credit myself for that, I've heard that 
from in a few different from a few different angles, right? From our, our OD trainings so forth. Um, but I think a lot of people, especially marginalized identities, like I just see, I just more of a nod of acknowledgement, like, yes, that's good verbiage to describe what we are, we are living in and existing. And for people who can see the systems, um, yet, I don't know what to say to, to elaborate on that, except I think for me, what's helpful is just a framing, not only of responsibility, but of, of opportunity. Um, and, in one of the posts I wrote a little bit later that, you know, organizations and cultures are not things that fell from the sky. Um, so we need to remember that people, maybe not us, but to your point, people maybe generations ago made some decisions, many of them very um, oppressive decisions towards entire groups of, of races of people that created a lot of these structures and organizations and, and hierarchies that, that we're living in. Um, and so then for today, you know, what are our decisions and what are the ramifications, not just today, but to borrow from indigenous, um, you know, mindsets and ideology, multiple generations down the line, right? Because we're creating cultures today that will last well beyond, you know, the 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or 10 p.m. that, that a lot of people work. Um, so it's, it's both, I think, A, a it kind of comes back to compassion for ourselves that, uh, we didn't make a lot of choices. Like we are products of history in a way of what we're living in, but we are also the creators of history. We're creating the history that, you know, that those people will live in, in, in the future, if that, that kind of makes sense. So it's an invitation as well to be intentional about, you know, what are the cultures that we're creating both actively, but also passively, um, you know, when, when kind of we show up and just where, where are those choice points, um, and I think at the end of the day, the day to just hoping to find like peace for, for me. And, and I know for others who have to make a lot of compromises in terms of their, their values and how they like to show up um, is just what's like, what's in our locus of control that we can change. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about culture and it's, or systems and it's big, it's complex. Like how could I ever change this stuff? Um, and for me, like, the micro stuff matters a lot too, right? Those moments where we feel seen and heard and validated by a colleague, by um, a partner. Um, I think those things really fill the tank. I think they give people hope in humanity that no matter what happens during the day, if you've got a really good connection with someone that like that can can kind of keep our tank full as well. So just being intentional from the very micro, um, how are we listening to one another, to the macro, what policies are we putting in place? Are we not challenging? Um, and, and what are the ramifications of those decisions? What's one of those micro moments for you recently? Mm, that's a good question. Hmm. Yeah, recently... Yeah, I say one one micro moment for me that I, I again I try to try to practice um, when I'm being more intentional is this concept of to whom do we give our time mm. and as a consultant and um, as somebody who holds who basically just goes straight down the column of of privileged identities um, I I get. I hear sometimes from clients like, oh, you must be so busy. I know your time's very valuable, um, all these things. And after I get my ego tickled, um, you know, you know, then there's this question of, 
of, hey, so I don't want to take up a lot of your time. And, and I hear a lot of that um, in, in not so many words. And so for me, I was just chatting with um, a client in ED about, you know, just being a thought partner and how to go about something on a piece of work that I may not, you know, even be bidding on or even be providing for them. Um, but yeah, just as, so for me, systematically, I know as a woman of color trying to navigate that space, how time is just such a luxury. And for me having a lot of privilege, like I know that's one small thing that I'm like, I can give whatever it is, two, three hours to, to just make space for, for her really just to air out her thoughts, um, and be heard and get some clarity, um, and, and the feedback that I got was just like, Hey, you know, like really appreciated that. Um, and in working with her too, I see that that is a behavior that she manifests with her team, um, a just in in a work life balance, or for example, just really holding to forty hours. Um, and I'm, I know I'm elaborating a little bit on this. Um, so a just in how how do I practice it? I think about who do I give my time to, um, and trying to be more intentional with that. Um, but then B at the organizational level is how do we treat people's time as well? So this ED who I'm thinking of has, I'd say, sort of like a younger staff working for her. And I think some of the mindsets there is when you work for an organization like this, doing a lot of um, direct support with with their clientele, it can be really, really long, strenuous hours. And sometimes there's a unspoken expectation that work is almost nonstop. And so for this ED, having the you know, courage and, and insight to say like, Hey, no, like if you're not being paid these times, I do not expect you to work. I expect you to have work-life balance. Um, they even structure in things, um, that are like, you know, just team building things. And I forget how they like bill or codify these hours, but they're structured in as non quote unquote productive tasks, um, to just tend to the human needs that we have. Um, so I think that's also a great micro way to to show people that hey like you can show up and yes we have a lot of work to do it's very very important like deeply impacting people's lives and you're a life right how are we treating each other um in this journey like you know can we slow down listen connect with one another at least some of the time if we're going to be like you said this this busy and this hyper productive yeah um I think, you know, there's so much in the sector that you talked about the scarcity mentality earlier and that time scarcity or, you know, it's such a huge cause. We have to, you know, we kind of have to martyr ourselves to the cause or just give all. And, you know, the folks who we're serving have it so much harder than us. But that sense of um, and I think it's, you know, as self-care as a real thing, not self-care as, you know, go and get a pedicure. Um where people can can start to put in those boundaries. And and what's so important is, as you said, is to make it explicit and not have it be implied. And then, of course, I think, which is even harder for many executive directors to not only say it, but do it themselves and model it so that their staff knows that that's really allowed. Um, But those micro moments, it just made me think about a conversation I had earlier today where I was doing the, the, you know, what in, in our work is a pretty simple thing of just, I'm, I'm talking to a number of people um, getting ready to do a facilitation around a leadership transition. And um, the woman at the end of the call just said, oh, I feel better after talking to you every time. And it wasn't like I did anything special. I asked her a couple questions that probably were kind of out of her day to day and made her 
think about things in a different way, but just having the time to talk through them, having the time, you know, that, uh, that full attention um, just, just makes a difference. And it was just, it was interesting just to hear her, hear her say that. Mm -hmm. Um, And So you know, making changes in any of these things, and you and I, uh, when you talked about where you've seen it being done well, it's kind of embodied in a, in a almost like a, an enlightened leader, which which unfortunately isn't very replicable. Um, you know, it's 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 can be really overwhelming to kind of think how do we even start to make our cultures, our organizational cultures healthier. Um, you know, does it have to start at the top? Are there things that individuals, staff, volunteers, board members can do to start kind of walking the organization towards a healthier, more inclusive culture? Yeah, yeah big time. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I, I just see so many, so many examples of that. Um, one of um, the caveats, if you will, right, is even when you and I talk about nonprofits that... Uh, that that is no monolith, right? There are so many sizes, types, you know, cultures within nonprofits, um, large, small, you know, based on the the geographic region and um, and the demographics within the organization. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've I've seen so many so many things. My what excites me about the work is to some of your example is sometimes there's so much power in just asking different questions. Um, whether that comes from an external or somebody who's an internal um, and it's sort of like, you know, what if we did explore this? I think so much of why cultures feel, um, you know, kind of stuck, like there's so much inertia in them. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a function of, of time. Like it's, well, it's always been this way. This is the way it is. Um, but all it takes is just a small thing. Like, well, what if we tried this? Um, some of my questions are when someone has an idea like that, what's, what's the best case scenario? Um, what's the worst case scenario? And, you know, what's a more likely middle ground that may emerge and just kind of taking that, taking that small risk. Um, so yeah, whether it's a small sort of like staff level implementation of a leader who says, Hey, I want to spend, you know, an hour every other week, just connecting, um, or more, uh, organic, if you will. Um, I've seen a lot of groups just yeah, organically or more fluidly just sort of connect with one another based on whether it's identity or shared interests. Um, sometimes those things get formalized, sometimes they don't. Um, and then, I mean, I think definitely just talking about like policy, for example, if you're on a board, if you're an ED, um, I really recommend just like a policy audit once in a while and looking, starting with your bylaws to your you know, HR and employee manuals um, and just looking at, looking at it from that lens of, of equity, like who gets privileged in these processes um, and how do we just make all of our decision-making processes more accessible um, and so one example in, on a board I was working with is just around pay. And they said, you know, we want to hire this position. Um, it's not going to be full time, um, but we want to negotiate the pay in this range. And so we think about, well, who, like, who are we excluding 
from that by default. I mean, ditto even for volunteer type boards and organizations, right? It's, you know, we're usually talking about people who have some disposable or discretionary time or, or financial stability to step into these roles. And if an organization, if we have the assets, you know, how can we use that to, you know, pay people for their labor, whether it's quote unquote on a board or like leading an internal initiative or an ERG like that. Um, so how do we make those structures and po um, policies um, as equitable and, and accessible as possible. So yeah, I'd say, yeah, you know, look at those policies, look at who gets privileged, look at who gets implicitly excluded when you're searching for positions and things like that. Um, yeah. And I think it, yeah. it can be challenging when you're in that dominant uh, privileged position. Uh, if you have a privileged identity to even see how those things are impacting others, because it works for you, right? The system was mm -hmm. built for you. And so then, um, you know, that, that comment you made at the beginning or, or through the, you know, that the cultures are, are, are all created by human decisions. When you're someone who benefits from that and, and, and it all, you know, the culture is built, for your person, it's hard to see that. It, it seems like just the way it is. And so I think sometimes that's where the value of um, different, you know, bringing an external person to help you walk through and, and point out how some of those policies might impact uh, folks where it might, you might, you know, it just might be a blind spot. Yeah, it's a great example. I mean, one thing I see organizations doing, especially those that maybe are working around like racial justice or community organizing, if it's a white-led organization, um, they'll sort of find a, um, a, a Black, Indigenous, and POC-led organization, right, as a source for accountability. So getting that feedback. Um, so seeing more of that um, in organizations, I think it's great because that sort of puts a litmus test on on some of our, you know, areas where we don't have that awareness. We're just not seeing the, um, the water that, that we're in. I heard a quote at a conference the other day, um, that was organizations often talk about adding color to the water, you know, diversifying, but few people want to talk about the water itself. Right. Right. So it's like, well, why don't we actually talk about the, this toxic water that we're already in, you know, and who, right, that we're all in who, and it's toxic yeah. for all of us. Yeah, and I think it's what's, what's important with that accountability. And, and I think too often has been taken for granted as kind of like, well, let's have a partnership and let's do community engagement and to not acknowledge, um, you know, that sometimes if, if folks aren't intentional or are careful about it, those can really become extractive relationships. And so how is that organization, community-based organization, organization led by people of color, indigenous people being adequately um, compensated for the, the labor, the emotional labor that they're doing to help that predominantly white organization uh, be mindful of those blind spots. So I think that's a, that is a huge growing edge, I think for the field. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I mean, there's the saying that like racism is white people's problem, right? Like that's where it should be solved. Sexism is that's actually a men's issue. Men actually need to, to work on and on and solve that. So yeah, it's, it's the privileged groups. And I'm know, sure people have been work. saying that for years, but I feel like it's only, only beginning to become acknowledged uh just barely barely uh, breaking through um for people to realize that yeah 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 big time and 
Yeah, that's a very, a very complex, yeah, complex, you know, piece of work, right? It's like, and I've met black people who say, you know, I choose to work with white people because they need it. <laughs> um, he's like, a black person, I think, of says, I don't trust white people to do their own work. Like, I want to be be in there, um, and and vice versa, right? Some, you know, people of color, black people, indigenous, are like, nope, no way. There's to your term, even adequate. There is no adequate compensation that can be provided for that um, level of labor. Like, there's yeah, there, it, I mean, even equity seems like a word that we can toss around, but, you know, what would it take for real equity and justice um, is, yeah, I think just a much bigger um, question. So, yeah, I think those are really great points of, yeah, how do we really be mindful, really be intentional? Um, and what are like the external structures and, and what's the internal work we need to do when our egos get in our way, when we get defensive um, when we get fragile, um, in those times, that's, yeah, that's where the hard work is. Absolutely. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com slash resources. We're back on Mission Impact. Well, we've been talking about some heavy topics, but I want to I want to change up the the change up things a little. Bit. Yeah, uh, I have a, a box of um, questions, icebreaker questions, and I'm not going to just completely take a random one out of the box. But I've got one for you, a uh, game that I'm going to play uh, on this on this uh, at the end of each episode, um, just to ask one of these questions uh, somewhat randomly and not necessarily related to everything we've been talking about. But maybe it is. We'll see. <laughs> so if you could create one holiday, what would you create? Mm, wow. If I could create one holiday. Off the top of my head, I'd say mindfulness day and what would what how would we celebrate mindfulness day um yeah it'd be a day to not be quote-unquote like productive um spending a little bit of time in self-reflection and connecting with others and yeah just surfacing yeah i think just surfacing what's inside of us like all the stuff we carry around maybe and giving that some space to breathe um and you know, people's practices will be different, of course, but for me, some of the hope is, is just how can we dream um, sort of the, the type of life and communities and, and systems we want to live in, um, whether that's in group or, or individual. Uh, but yeah, I think just a day to be like mindful, intentional, not only embracing the, the current moment, but really envisioning um, the best type of future that we could live in. All right. Well, with that in mind, um, what are you excited about? What's coming up for you that that you're working on that's emerging? Sure. One of one of the big bigger things I'm working on um, is a collective is what we're calling it now of um, practitioners, consultants. Um, I guess generally people who are passionate about creating more inclusive cultures and organizations. So right now there's a group of about 10 folks from um, across the country, soon to be international. And we are exploring 
like why why aren't cultures actually changing? Why isn't representational sort of token DNI enough? And what does it really take to generate buy-in um, and also to provide uh, effective strategies and interventions across those levels of organizations to to shift not only just numbers um, but also the the tenor, the feel, the uh, the deeper culture in an organization. So I'm very excited about just bringing people together who are passionate about this, who see the issue and who recognize that we need um, a different, a deeper um, approach to, to doing this work. So that's one thing I'm excited about moving forward. All right. Awesome. And how can people get in touch with you or find out about the work that you do? Sure. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, Tip Fallon is, is one place to find and follow me. Twitter um, is at tip.fallon. Um, and my website where you can contact me is fallonconsulting.net. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, appreciate having you on. And it was a great, I really enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find the links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. That's missionimpactpodcast, all one word, dot com slash show notes. Please take a minute to rate and review Mission Impact on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the podcast and we really appreciate it.